Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm working solo in the booth tonight. My co-host, Sal Dietry, is on business travel. It was a beautiful thing to see the scenes of rescue and kindness during the recent hurricanes. Nobody was asking people who they voted for or their position on Confederate statues as they helped each other with patience and dignity. This begs the question of how do we get people engaged in treating each other like this absent some form of tragedy. Tonight we're joined by Kristen Campbell, the Executive Director of PACE, a learning collaborative of over 45 diverse philanthropies that invest in getting people engaged in our communities and democracy. Some of their members include the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, and the Case Foundation. Kristen joins us to talk about this and other important questions and how her organization is working to address them. Kristen, welcome to Grayson 30. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. We spoke on the phone recently, mm-hmm. and we talked about this whole issue of why it seems to take some sort of a disaster, a war or a natural catastrophe to get people engaged. And I'm just wondering, you know, why do you think this is, and how do we energize people to, to get engaged and work with each other under normal day-to-day circumstances? It's a great question, Ed, and one of the things that I've been reflecting on a lot right now is how those experiences of tragedy, as difficult and painful as they are, what they often have the opportunity to do is remind us of our common humanity. Events like that tend to generate a sense of empathy and a recognition that none of us are immune to crisis or to the effects of disaster. Every crisis that happens could happen to us or to someone we love. And that intellectual realization and that emotional connection on what is really a very basic human level can be really motivating and also humbling. And it can also remind us that I believe we are actually wired for the greater good and that love and belonging are louder emotions and bigger motivators than the forces in our everyday lives that seek to drive us apart. And so I think the question to be gleaned from that is that for those of us who do civic work on an everyday basis is to think about how do we create emotional connections and resonance to everyday, less headline-grabbing issues or things that we may think don't or won't directly affect us, but might actually in one way or another. Um, It also teaches us a lesson that we need to meet people where they are in the course of their everyday lives in order to show them that there are always opportunities to do good, give back, and help others on a regular basis, and that it doesn't take a crisis to call us to that. So how, how do we do that? What are you guys doing at PACE, and what are some of your member organizations doing uh, to, to accomplish that? Well, I'll start by sharing a little bit about how we define civic engagement and what it means and looks like for us. And we recognize that civic engagement is a term that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people and can be defined in very different ways. But for us, it really centers around a definition that civic engagement is the process of helping people be active participants in building and strengthening their communities 
whether that community is defined geographically or is defined by issue or by identity. Um, PACE, uh, which stands for Philanthropy for Active Civic Engagement, as a network, we have very diverse members. We have some large national foundations, some smaller, usually place-based or family foundations. They're very diverse in the strategies that they take to approach their work, the size of their giving, and, and the issues that they work on. But the shared belief that brings them to the table at PACE is a belief that America will be more healthy, productive, resilient, and successful if democracy is strong and if the office of citizen is treated as central to how it functions. And so for us, we really think about civic engagement as being a mechanism to empower people, not to tell them what to think or how to feel or how to act, but it's about building a sense of agency and a sense of purpose and a feeling that you're part of something larger than yourself. And so the form that that can take when people have that agency or that realization, the form that that can take can be many. We think about it to include things like engagement in the political process, both electoral and non-electoral. We say that it includes volunteering and community and national service. It includes civic learning and education. It includes deliberative democracy and dialogue, media and journalism, individual level charitable giving. Again, anything that helps people be active parts in creating the communities that they want to be part of and to realize the right and the responsibility of living in a self-governing society. So give us a, a really non-obvious form of uh, civic engagement. I mean, we all just voted yesterday, so that was clearly a, a form of engagement, correct? Absolutely. So what is something that's not so clear or obvious to people? It's a really good question. I think for some people it includes lots of different things, but one thing that I think is resonant right now, given a lot of things that are going on, is attending marches and rallies mm -hmm. is a part of civic engagement. Community organizing is part of civic engagement. Um, participating in a year of national service through a program like AmeriCorps or the Service Year Alliance are all parts of that process as well. I also talked to you a little bit on the phone about the relationship between civic engagement and civility. Is, is there a connection between the two? That's a great and rather complicated question. <laughs> um, I think in a lot of ways it depends how you define civility. And I think one of the things that a lot of us have been thinking about in conversations about civility is that's a nice thing to aim for, but is it enough? And are we thinking about civil in the sense that I'm tolerating you mm -hmm. by being civil to you? Or are we really thinking about it in a sense of respect and acknowledgement for shared humanity and acknowledgement of shared experience? And that's what I think we're really striving for when we think about civil civic engagement and the relationship between civility and civic engagement, because sometimes it doesn't feel very civil, right? Especially yeah. when we get into debates around ideas and values and things that are deeply personal to us that are deeply entrenched in, in who we are, um, some 
sometimes we're not always great about acknowledging that in each other and acknowledging the principal differences that we have and why we have them. And so sometimes I think that can be that healthy disagreement and principal debate can be really helpful in helping the best ideas to address an issue really rise and bubble to the top by being debated based on their merit and their reason. Um, but I think if we just are striving towards civility as dealing with each other and agreeing not to throw tomatoes at each <laughs> other when we're in the same room, right, then then maybe we're missing the mark a little bit. There seems to be quite a bit of tomato throwing <laughs> these days from the White House. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you talked about, I watched the primer video on your uh, website, which is really good. Thank you. And a couple of things stood out. One, there, there were sort of these practice buckets, you call them, of, mm-hmm. of civic engagement. And two that stood out were uh, social capital and cohesion, and then one was political reform. Uh, we, we just seem to be a really inc- increasingly isolated and extreme in our opinions these days. And, and I guess, is there, is there specific work that PACE is doing or some of your member organizations are doing to try to, to change that, to try to tear down these barriers, these walls that separate us now? Yeah, Ed, I'm really glad that you raised that. And um, the primer that we put out was really a response to a lot of questions that we've been getting in this complex and complicated moment um, where people are thinking about and talking about civic engagement a lot. And some of them are thinking about it and talking about it for the first time. And so the primer was a tool that we released to try to level set some of the definitions and the values and the terms of how we think about it and how we classify it with our members. Um, and it's available on our website at pacefunders.org slash primer. Um, and as you mentioned, one of the pieces of that is really almost a matrix of the types of activities. I believe there are 13 that we've outlined on there that we would consider to be part of civic engagement. And so to respond specifically to the two that you brought up, one of them is Um, the category that we broadly classify as social capital and cohesion, which is really at its core about building trust between people and creating opportunities for connection. And there are a couple of really interesting projects that I think some of our members are working on um, really as an attempt to build social capital and cohesion, even if they might not call it that. That's still what what the function and some of the goals of those initiatives are. One is called On the Table, and it's run by the Chicago Community Trust, and it's also been replicated in a number of other communities across the country. And another one is called the Heart of Democracy program out of the Fetzer Institute. And what both of these initiatives are, while they're different in various ways, at the core, they're dinner dialogue projects that aim to bring people and community together to break bread and know each other in a very personal way and to have conversations and to get to know each other and just to ideate around what their shared hopes and their shared concerns are for their community. And in that process, a lot of times what they realize is that they don't have that maybe they have more in common than they thought that they might coming in. Um, and so that's one idea or one way that our members are working to build that. And how do they how do they get that going? Do they do they work through church? Do they work through local organizations, both? I mean, how do they, and is it 10 people at a table or five people or what's it look like? Yeah, 
I think it depends um, on each dinner, I think looks a little bit differently. I think they're usually around 10 or 12 people. There's always food. That's mm-hmm. that's definitely a common denominator. Is <laughs> then that there really be a fight. If <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't want anybody to be hangry and having those, those conversations, right? Um, and so sometimes they do outreach through nonprofits or faith-based institutions. Um, Fetzer in particular, their focus is really around building a spiritual foundation for a loving world. And so they work a lot with religiously oriented or faith oriented um, institutions. Sometimes local chambers of commerce or um, Kiwanis clubs will bring people to the table as well. But they're they're diverse by design um, and diverse in, in all of their forms, including ideology, race, gender, socioeconomic status. Um, again, the purpose really being how do we get people who think they might not have things in common together to acknowledge that maybe they actually do when we give them the opportunity to connect with each other, not as Republicans or Democrats or black people or white people or rich people or poor people, but get them together as people um, able to strip away those those identities a little bit. They see that they have more in common than they than they might realize. Um, And one other project that I think is really interesting um, is a is an initiative called the Helping People Get Along Better Fund, which I think is just the best name ever. And it is administered out of one of our members, the Einhorn Family Charitable Trust. And the point of this fund, which they really launched in response to the election last year, was to figure out how do we provide project support to bring people together in new ways to help them understand and think and act together across lines of difference. And so Einhorn has been seeding and funding a couple of different little projects to see what creates the conditions that allow people to come together and what can we they do together if we create the avenues for them to do that. So those are a couple on the social cohesion and, and social capital bucket that you mentioned. Another one that is very resonant and relevant in our current climate is political reform, as you note. And we have a number of members that address this issue in a number of ways. And I almost hesitate to name some of them because it feels like calling out your favorite kids, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, all of our members are, are doing great things, but for the purpose of this, and they're all available on our website, by the way, you can see the full list there. Um, but just to respond to your question, I'll name um, a couple that are specifically working in the political reform space, but it's certainly not an exclusive list. Um, Two are, one is the Democracy Fund and one is Rockefeller Brothers Fund. And a couple of the things that they both are doing in the political reform space are really trying to figure out how do we protect the integrity of and the access to free and fair elections. Um, Another group is the Madison Initiative, which is out of the Hewlett Foundation based in California, and they have a pretty multi-pronged effort to try to reduce polarization in Congress and hold space for cross-partisan solutions and to incentivize cross-partisan compromise. And then we also have a number of members working on issues related to election administration and campaign finance reform um, as it relates to reducing the influence of money in politics to ensure that our government and our politics are truly representative of the views and perspectives of our people um, rather than special interests. Share with us some of the nuggets of wisdom that you've gleaned while working at PACE. And I know you've done some jobs before this that were all focused on, you know, the the common good. Um, Mm -hmm. And also tell us how your faith integrates with this. 
Wow, how much time do we have left, Ed? Um, <laughs> we'll make this the last question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hopefully it won't take that much time. I'll try to be brief. But I think the thing that I've come to realize in doing civic work, I was raised as a person of faith. Um, I grew up going to church, particularly with my grandparents. And so my faith has always been really important to me. And I think the realization that I've had, especially over the last couple of years, is that many of the things that I feel called to as a Christian are similar things that I feel called to as a citizen. And so I think two things in particular that are values that are gleaned from my faith, but I think have lots of implications and resonance for how I think about civic practice as well, is one is a sense that to whom much is given, much is expected. And this for me really means much is expected of your time in how you serve others and how you um, create better communities and better circumstances around you, as well as to whom much is given um, financially. It is, there's a requirement or, or a call to give back. And I did not grow up in a house with lots of money or financial resources, but we definitely were still called to and encouraged to give what we could, even if it was small amounts of money or large amounts of time. So that's one thing that, that I've always held really central. Um, a second one is a belief. It's the golden rule, right? Treat others as you would want to be treated. And the way that I've been thinking about this, too, in the context of my civic identity is a real desire and sense of urgency to balance my individual passions and my personal sense of self-interest with a commitment to the public good and to something larger than myself. Um, and then finally, I'll say a piece of scripture with high resonance and relevance for me right now is Micah 6.8, which says, um, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And this speaks to me right now, given many of the issues that our country and our community are struggling with, and how not only the Lord calls us to respond, but how humanity and how our communities call us to respond right now. So that's something that I'm holding really dear in this time. Oh, I love it. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. Maybe also some things that when we talk, you mentioned things like listening, the importance. Nobody listens anymore. Everybody's yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. And that we need to encourage people to do that, getting grounded with people uh, who, who are affected by certain issues, understanding their perspective. What about some things like that? What, and I've, I know I've already named two of them, but I mean, what, what are you discovering in this role that you're working in that's really important for us to sort of honor and to, to make sure we do I think being in relationship with people and really trying to understand them, who they are, where they're coming from, what drives them, and kind of another thing that I'm living with right now and, and I would call others to think about as well, because I'm certainly sitting with how I live with it in the world, is to seek first to understand rather than being understood. And I had the opportunity, we had the opportunity to engage Matthew Dowd, um, the political commentator from ABC News, who's been both a Democrat and a Republican, um, and now identifies as independent. And we had the opportunity to have him at one of our events. And something that he said has just really, really stayed with me. And he said, you can't break an emotional bond with a rational argument. And I think that's so much of what we're trying to do right now is we're yelling facts and data and what we think is reasonable to people who 
are may not be coming from a rational place. They might be coming from a very emotional place, and that's okay. But how do we take the time to really unpack and understand that to make sure that we're talking together and not screaming at each other? Um, so the thing that he called us to do in response to that was to think about how do we meet people in our shared joy and our shared sorrow. And so that's something I've been thinking a lot about, too. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, Congressman Frank Wolf was on here talking about how he, he, would, he would break bread. He would go out with certain mm-hmm. people, certain key people in Congress and eat with them. He actually would pray with them, and they would pray for each other. And he just said, you're just not going to go out on the floor and kill each other when you have that kind of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And we just heard, hear this over and over. We had a gentleman come on who is a keyboardist, African-American, who started going to KKK rallies. And he started befriending Grand Dragons and Imperial Wizards. And they became deeply close friends. And these men renounced their views, gave him their robes and hoods, 40 of them, over the course of 30 years. And it's just an amazing testimony to just getting close to people, getting to know them, and developing these relationships. It's so key. What are some of the things that you're really proud of that PACE is doing, whether it's PACE or some of your member organizations? It's a really great question. So much of what we do is behind the scenes with our members. We, I sometimes say that it's hard to communicate about our work sometimes because we help the people who help the people who help people, which is a very DC thing to say, right? Um, and so one of the things that makes me most excited and that I feel most proud of, though it might not necessarily translate into a specific action, is how we've been able to encourage people to, especially funders in some circumstances, to think differently about why civics matters and see connections in their work that they might not otherwise. Um, Many of our members actually don't call themselves civic funders or democracy funders, but they have come to the recognition that the work they do is inherently civic because it has the ability to put people at the center of naming the problems that they see and are experiencing and identifying the solutions to those problems. Um, One of the most meaningful projects that I think PACE has had the privilege to work on is our Civic Pathways Out of Poverty work that was supported by the Gates Foundation, the Kellogg Foundation, and the New World Foundation a few years ago, which really challenged us to see how we could help people rethink what a service experience meant for their own social and economic mobility of the people that were participating in a service experience. And then the last thing that I'll say is one thing I'm really excited about right now is that with support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we've launched a health and safety working group where we've really brought together funders and nonprofit professionals and researchers and some um, some government officials to say, how can we understand if and how civic participation can be a mechanism to increase health and safety outcomes in communities? And so we're just launching that exploration. Watch this space. Hopefully you'll invite me back in a year or so to share more about what we've learned on that relationship. But I'm really excited about the potential that that has to um, illuminate new connections and think about investments that are not only about process, but are about the importance and critical community outcomes that those processes can um, can strengthen and support. Yeah, I definitely want to see the results of those that work. Um, I'm going to jump forward and go to a call to action, and then we can return to other questions if we have time. But we always ask our guests to, to issue a call to action or two or three to our listeners to try to get them off the couch and engaged. 
And if there's also anything that's just on your heart that you want to share as well. So please. Well, one that I was going to offer, I think I did already, which is my personal call to action that I've given myself is seek first to understand, not to be understood. And so that has been transformative to me in any number of ways. And I would encourage others to think about what that might mean for them. I think the other thing that we've really been thinking about is goes to the right and the responsibility of citizenship, right? Like a lot of us right now, there are lots of dialogues and conversations about what our rights are, and we're not always spending as much headspace or time or intentionality talking about what our responsibilities are to preserve and protect those rights. And so I think that reminds us that we all have a role to play in creating the communities that we want to be part of and to leading by example and to and treating others the way that we want to be treated, right? And so I would really encourage folks to think about what might it mean or look like for you to be the change that you are hoping to seek in your community and your country right now and how might you fulfill that? Excellent. And certainly if you're a follower of Christ, pray about it. Absolutely. Very, very intentionally ask about that. We talked a little bit as well about the role of storytelling as an act of civic engagement. Uh, can you give us your opinions on that? I mean, we're trying to do that with this radio program. We're trying to tell stories of people who are involved in making a difference and positive stories, stories of impact and service and sacrifice. <laughs> What are your thoughts on that? Great. Well, I'm so glad we have um, a few minutes or a minute to talk about this because I've been giving it a lot of thought recently. I've been thinking a lot about what our responsibility is to see others. And I think in a lot of ways, this is motivated for me by a sense of Christian responsibility, but also what I think we are called to do as citizens in divided times when we are seeing and feeling distance between ourselves and those around us who may look or think or pray or act differently than we do. And I think the power of storytelling is helping us see others, but also helping us see ourselves. And individual stories allow us to challenge or validate collective narratives and to understand the implications of policies or investments or interventions in order to put a human face on them and, and help tell the story of what it is that they really mean and how they really impact and influence people. And the more I think about it, the more I think that that does mean that storytelling has an inherently civic purpose and value. Um, one last note on one of our members you mentioned Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, which is one of our members, and they've launched an initiative called Channel Kindness. And what it aims to do is to empower young people, especially, to tell the stories of extraordinary kindness and bravery that they're seeing in their communities every day that would otherwise go untold. And so if that's not, uh, if that doesn't tell us that storytelling is an act of civic engagement, then I'm not sure what does. All right, great. Thank you for joining us. If anyone wants to find out more information about PACE, go to pacefunders.org. This is Ed and Kristen signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. Grace.